Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Because if you come out of prison and you have bipolar and you're a heroin addict, um, you will not keep a job uh, very long. And so our program is we work with them pre-release. Then when they come out, every single person goes through an intensive outpatient substance use program lasting six weeks. Of the 900 that you've had, what percentage have been able to complete the program? We factor in about, at the very beginning, we factored in an attrition rate of about a third. That's um, pretty much what we've experienced. And you're telling me that report is now ready to be released for public consumption. That's something you can send me after we're off the air here? Absolutely. Okay. I'm Sarah Fenske. Reggie Riley got out of prison last July. Odds are high he should already be back in. 77% of people who leave prison end up back behind bars within just five years. A full 48% end up getting sent back in the first year. And beyond his most recent 15 years for robbery, Reggie spent about half of his adult life beyond bars. But Reggie's doing well. He's held his job as a packer at CRT Group for six months now, and he's determined not to screw up. Ask him where he'd like to be in five years, and he'll tell you this. I see myself as a well successful person. Reggie credits Concordance for getting him to this place. The St. Louis-based nonprofit helped him get his birth certificate and other paperwork in order so he could get a job. It helped him land his first job and then his second one. They even enrolled him in a work simulation that helped him understand workplace norms. He really liked that. It was so, it was so wonderful. It was an experience for me because I'd never been to a work simulation before. They, they were prepping me. For the demon the job that they they gonna send us to, you know what I'm saying? It was just it was just so wonderful. It was just a nice feeling. Um, it was it was wonderful. And more than anything, Reggie said, concordance helped him find new perspective. They taught me how to deal with the situation instead of just going out. Start demon saying doing something demon I'm gonna regret. Mm-hmm. So it is don't need to sit back and relax and take a breath and think about what I'm gonna do. My next move is keep me from going back to prison. Former Wells Fargo Advisors CEO Danny Ludeman founded Concordance five years ago. He had plans to transform prison reentry to do what no one had done. It's a tall order. Reggie Riley will tell you that. To succeed, he says, people have to want to make changes. They got to be willing to do it and go through it if they want to stay out here on the streets and do the right thing. Reggie Riley says he is at that point. I made my mind up and I came home that I'm not going back. I'm ready to make a change in my life now and do something the same that I never did in my life and enjoy my life. That is Reggie Riley. Concordance says it has now helped 900 people like him, and that is in its first five years. And joining us today to share how that's gone and what happens next is Danny Ludeman. He's the founder and CEO of Concordance. Danny, welcome. Thank you, Sarah. It's great to be with you. So, Danny, you launched Concordance five years ago. Looking back, are you where you hoped to be then at this point now? 
uh, I would say that um, the success we've had in lowering the incarceration rates has exceeded uh, our expectations. Uh, when we, we studied this particular problem for two and a half years prior to uh, taking our first class, which, as you mentioned, has been five years ago. So uh, we employed a lot of uh, the best minds in the industry. Uh, a lot of people, um, WashU, we hired them, um, engaged in a two-year uh, project with them where they identified um, interventions that may, met the uh, gold standard of randomized control trials. And it was the Brown School at WashU that actually set a goal, given our holistic approach with 12 services under one roof. They felt we could lower uh, reincarceration rates in the St. Louis community by 33%. So the fact that we're at 44% is just, um, I mean, we just uh, couldn't be uh, more grateful that we can have such an impact on this vulnerable population. And so the idea is to help people who've been in prison not go back to prison. And, and you're talking about these rates of success on this. There's a, there's a term used a lot in your field. That's recidivism. These are the people who end up going back. You say you've been able to get that down. Walk us through what that rate is for you. Um, well, ever since we started, and it's important to note that um, we count everybody who has um, started in our program, a program six-month pre-release, we actually have therapists and career educators that are in the four prisons that we serve that tend to release the most to the greater St. Louis community, and then it's 12 months post-release, and, um, and we count every single person, whether they or enrolled for one hour, or they completed the whole 18-month program. And so uh, the fact that we've been able to lower it by this amount, um, it's, it's, you know, it's a feat that's never been accomplished. And our evaluator, uh, the University of Chicago, the North Group, an individual named John Roman, uh, who's an expert, evaluated more than 150 programs, the best he's ever seen is a 6%. So you mentioned this evaluator at, at NORC at the University of Chicago, um, and I have been trying to get this report from that evaluator. Your PR team told me that this is not something that they can give out at this point. Um, why isn't this something that you're out there touting? Well, he was in the process of finishing the report. We got his initial um, 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 you know, draft, and he just finalized the report, I think it was on uh, Monday this week. So it's uh, it's available for public consumption. And what uh, he's doing a number of randomized control trials. This is really the first one that he's done that um, it's called the, um, um, you know, quasi-experimental design. And the exciting thing about the report is this is actually comparing the over 2,000 individuals who were released from prison in the St. Louis community against uh, six of our classes over a 12-month period, and it actually shows a 50% reduction in that particular time frame. And you're telling me that report is now ready to be released for public consumption. That's something you can send me after we're off the air here? Uh, absolutely. Okay. Well, that's something I will look forward to sharing that with our readers. I have not, or listeners, I have not been able to yet read that report myself, but we can get that up on our website for people who are interested in seeing the specifics. And you said this looks at, it sounds like it looks at a smaller group of people who've come through Concordance's program. Uh, the full set of people, is that something where you have a report that evaluates that and, and the recidivism rate for them? 
We have uh, hired the University of Chicago to do um, a series of randomized control trials. And so they'll be doing um, uh, a number of, I think it's a total of following, I believe it's six to seven classes. We typically have about 42 in each class. So it meets the gold standard of, um, of being statistically significant. You want to have a, a, you know, a random population. And it meets the condition of having the, uh, you know, the evaluation occur for, you know, some period of time. So it's very important. The, 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 the thing we wanted to make sure when we started this was that uh, we got independent evaluation uh, and that we were looking at the most precise scientific methods. Uh, we're very quantitative. Um, we're very process-oriented. And so this is what I'm able to bring to concordance from my you know, 35 years of experience in the, in the business community. It's fact-based. It's um, been independently evaluated, so there can be no question that you know we're not calculating the numbers ourselves. We have independent people doing that. And is this, the, is this the first independent evaluation that's been completed during the five years? Yeah, um, it's, and, and the important thing here is actually comparing it to the sample. So it's compared against 2,000 people, a little over 2,000 people that were released to the St. Louis community over the same time frame that, that we were serving the six classes. And so, um, uh, so when you think about the 44%, these numbers also independently evaluated. Um, but the fact that you know, that number tends to be more compared to a state um, rate, um, and this is actually compared specifically to the St. Louis population. So the fact that that it actually was about a 50% reduction, uh, St. Louis has one of the largest uh, recidivism rates in the state of Missouri, mm-hmm. and so it's more of an apples-to-apples comparison. That's why the number is higher than a 44%. Okay. And you have served 900 people during the five years of of having this organization providing these services. As Reggie Riley, um, one of your graduates, explained to us when we talked to him last week, it's not always easy. Not everybody is ready for this program. Of the 900 that you've had, what percentage have been able to complete the program? We factor in about, at the very beginning, we factored in an attrition rate of about a third. That's um, pretty much what we've experienced uh, since since starting concordance, and uh, um, and again, the reason we take approximately two fifty a year is that even when you factor in that attrition rate, it becomes statistically significant. So we, the, the main thing we want to ensure of is that, and this is one of the differences between concordance and other programs is when we form a class, we ask the Department of Corrections to basically give us a list of 60 or so people if we need to, to form a class of 42 that uh, is is somewhat representative of the 27, 28,000 people that are in prison. Uh, you know, so by age, race, gender, um, history of mental health, substance use. You're not and just so, picking the people um, who are most likely to succeed. Exactly. And I'm convinced after being involved with this for seven and a half years now, most of the services, and albeit they're not a lot of services because this is not a cause that typically gets funded by governments, corporations, or individuals, uh, goes to the 23% that would have made it anyway because um, most 
external organizations, other reentry organizations have application processes, or you got to find them. So by definition, you're only serving the most willing population. Our approach is we want to serve what would be, in uh, corrections terms, people that are high risk of reoffending, medium risk of reoffending, and low risk of reoffending. And we can impact their willingness. And that's one of the reasons why we start our program pre-release, because we're trying to build a bond of trust between our participants and concordance. And so um, we've got, I would put our therapists and case managers and career educators against anybody. And so we can motivate them um, and, and increase their willingness because at the beginning of a class, I would say most are not really all that excited about being in concordance. Mm-hmm. They just have very little going on in prison, so they, they're, they're willing to give it a chance. Hmm. So they give it a chance. You feel like you're able to change some of the mindsets that people are able to get into that state of mind that Reggie Riley told us about, that they want this to succeed. For those you've seen where that hasn't happened, the ones where they have ended up reoffending, what do you see as some common denominators? What gets in the way of their ability to thrive? Um, well, when you look at the core uh, issue of what's going on, and this is, I'd say this is causative, not just correlated, but if you look at state penitentiaries all over this country, approximately 80% of people in state penitentiaries have a severe mental health disorder, and 83% have a severe substance use disorder. And so our approach is about healing first. A lot of the other 10 services we offer, um, you know, employment, legal services, housing, uh, working with families, they don't really, um, you know, unless you can get somebody sober, keep them sober, and deal with their mental health issues, getting somebody a job is not going to make that much of a difference until you've accomplished that first. So the number one reason people are trite from concordance is um, they don't want to stay sober. Mm. And so that's something you're tackling um, from day one. That's something you begin with that that pre-release part of the project. Yeah, we are a full-blown, and I'd say the bulk of our resources are spent on the healing uh, part of the program, which is a big part. And so we are a full-blown certified substance use disorder treatment center, and we're a full-blown mental health treatment center. Um, We have just recently been uh, accredited by CARF, who's the gold standard of accreditations for uh, behavioral health organizations. And so we've got to get that right. Um, Because if you come out of prison and you have bipolar and you're a heroin addict, um, you will not keep a job uh, very long. And so our program is we work with them pre-release. Then when they come out, every single person goes to an intensive outpatient substance use program lasting six weeks, eight hours a day, five days a week for six weeks. And only then do they move into what we call the employment phase where they're working part-time still coming back in the afternoons for treatment for 12 weeks, and then they move into full-time employment. But you have to get the healing uh, part right, and that's where there's so much misunderstanding. And, and you know, a lot of people think it's wonderful to hire people out of prison, and it's great, mm-hmm. but um, you got to be very careful about uh, making sure that person can succeed when they start working, that they can actually get low house, uh, low income housing and, and, and be able to pay their rent on a consistent basis. So our approach is, is gradually healing an individual. That's why it's 18 months long. 
We do need to take a quick break. We'll be back shortly to continue this conversation with Danny. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. And now back to our conversation. We're talking today to Danny Ludeman. He's the former CEO of Wells Fargo Advisors, and five years ago, he founded a nonprofit to help people in prison re-enter society and stay out of prison. And Danny, we've been talking a lot about concordance, but your background is so interesting, and it's one of the reasons concordance had such a high profile out of the gate. You basically quit your CEO job in 2013 to do good. You told the Post-Dispatch, I have this strong calling to spend hopefully the next 30 years or so helping other people 100% of the time. What drove that calling for you? I'd been CEO of, um, of the brokerage company I ran for 15 years, which um, was actually five years longer than I intended to. But we moved to St. Louis when we bought A.G. Edwards in 2007. And um, my plan was to um, retire after 10 years. Um, but, um, um, you know, after that, um, continued because of the, the huge acquisition of A.G. Edwards and integrating them into the organization. And then about a year and a half later, Wells Fargo bought Wachovia. So, um, so my plan had always been to retire and to take, um, you know, time to um, – work on another phase of my life, retire at a young enough age where I could make a meaningful difference. Um, and my faith leads me greatly in terms of um, serving uh, other people. Um, and so that was the reason. And I didn't know exactly what that would look like until I got a very um, precious letter from a woman who was the chairperson of a, a small Nonprofit reentry organization, which is typical of most across the country. They're not very well funded, and they were looking for an executive director. So it was my conversation with Candace O'Connor, who is um, known by many in the St. Louis community, that um, um, did all this. And it wasn't really till the second meeting I had with her where I learned about what we call the big problem, and that's the number we've quoted 77% of people uh, that come out of prison. Uh, recommit a crime in three to five year period, and there's been absolutely no improvement in that, virtually no improvement since the Department of Corrections been keeping records. So it was a head thing, it wasn't a heart thing, the heart thing came later. Um, but that's the only reason I decided to do, um, you know, uh, take up this particular cause because it is a big issue, Sarah, and I want to make sure that your, your listeners understand that. There are 30 million felons in this country. And um, what's horrendous about so if you take the 30 million felons, just count mom and dad, son and daughter, there are over 100 million people in this country that are affected by mass incarceration, which is almost a third. So when you talk about problems, social issues, it would be third. Mm -hmm. Poverty, number one, 
disease number two, mass incarceration number three. It literally has devastated um, hundreds and thousands of black and Hispanic and Latino communities all over this country. And the most astounding fact about that 30 million felon is 12 million are black, 8 million are either Hispanic or Latino, two-thirds. And so um, you can't deny when you look at these numbers that there is a systemic problem created by hundreds of years of racial bias that has just led to these communities that have high crime, high drugs, poor schooling, poor housing, um, you know, most of your uh, listeners know where they're located. And so that has a big impact on what we do, because this is a problem. The root cause of it is childhood trauma, and it's because children are growing up in these devastating communities. And so when we do, when we first take a class, we do a number of evaluations, assessments on them. And virtually everyone has either been shot, stabbed, raped, physically beaten, or seen a loved one die in front of them by the age of nine. That's why you're dealing with you're dealing with a complicated issue. That's why um, the stats I mentioned about 80% having a mental health disorder, 83% having a substance use disorder. The median level of grade they made it to was ninth grade. They had very little work skills or work experience. It's a true story of horrific story, the breakdown of the family. Uh, and then they've got the perpetual stigma of being a felon for life. So you're dealing with so many factors. So this is why we spent two and a half years researching, making sure it was fact-based, not just based on a gut feeling. Um, and and that's why um, uh, these, these factors that are at work, that's why um, the average individual in prison goes back to prison seven times. They call it doing life under the installment plan. Mm-hmm. And so... The ecosystem of our country today is somebody commits a felony, you know, felony, they get arrested, they get charged, they go to prison, they serve the time, they come out. But if nothing has changed for that individual, if their mental health, their substance use has not been addressed, that's why they keep going back to prison over and over and over again. And something like 80 to 85 percent of people in prison uh, have been there multiple times. So the best way the research shows to to reduce mass incarceration is to reduce reincarceration. That's why we're we're so focused on it. That's why we are the only uh, reentry organization in the country that offers twelve services under one roof. And I would say that's the only reason we've been, we've been successful because of that and the generosity of the St. Louis community. Virtually every business in the St. Louis region is an investor in Concordance. Because what we do is expensive. So, um, and, and as you say, it, it's extensive. It's a bunch of services. It's not cheap, this work that you're doing. How much are you spending per graduate of this program? Uh, it works out to be about, um, currently it's about $20,000 per participant at two fifty. We're ramping up our services this year to serve 500. 500 at a, a time. And then 500 per year. Okay. 250 a year is what we do now, 42, and we do six classes a year. We're doubling that this current year, and then our goal is to um, um, to raise it to 1,000 
per year, which would be roughly 40 to 50 percent of all people releasing into the St. Louis region. So you have had a lot of expansion goals over the years that you've talked about. At one point, you announced you were going to go into Illinois, and and that hasn't happened yet. You also talked about opening an office in Kansas City. That hasn't happened yet. Has ramping up been harder and and scaling this for other places? Has that been more difficult than you anticipated? Um, Not really. We we never had any. Our goal was to first um, compile enough data Again, we're very data-driven, and so we wanted to have five years of hard data before we expanded anywhere. So we never had plans of going to Kansas City or Illinois um, prior to this. Um, now we're in a position, and this is really a, um, has a lot to do with David Stewart and the $50 million campaign that he's leading for us now, where we will expand to 11 cities over a five- to six-year period, Um and that's always been our plan. And then after that, the plan is to long-term be in every state in America. And and so previous reporting about some of these other things, that was inaccurate? You really only wanted to be in St. Louis for the first five years? Correct. I mean, we you, know, you have to plan to get in other locations during that period of time. But we wanted to make sure, I mean, the, the, the one of the issues that, that hurts nonprofits is they expand too fast. And so when we go somewhere, our intention is to stay there. This is something I bring from my other, um, you know, career is I've opened up hundreds of branches. And there are certain things you need to do to get ready to open up a branch. Um, you know, you have to create a lot of relationships. So we believe we'll be, we'll be announcing our second location uh, this year, um, probably by the end of September, uh, we do serve Illinois already. Um, we serve the other side of the river, which has always been our plan to serve the greater uh, St. Louis area. We serve a prison called Bernard, which releases the most individuals to uh, St. Clair and Madison County, East St. Louis. Um, but we've identified in this list of 11, we've identified which ones they are, and we're having conversations with them now. Uh, to determine which cities would make the most sense. We hired the Pew Research Group to identify uh, eight success factors for us. A lot of times people just go to another location because there's money there. And, again, we want to make sure that we have lasting viability. We do this as a movement, Sarah. This is a movement, and I would challenge anybody to come up with a program that would have a greater impact on restoring racial equality across this country. Um, I mean, it's, it's um, while we keep people out of prison, our ultimate goal is for our participants to live joyful, abundant, and purposeful lives with their families. And so what we get the most joy out of is when mom or dad gets sober, um, they get part-time work, then they get full-time work through our employment agency. We're not finding jobs for people. We're employing them. And then we're providing them wonderful low-income housing. And then, But the biggest joy is when mom or dad reunites with their children. And on average, our participants have four children. And the research also shows if you want to end the generational cycle, of, of incarceration, that 10 million children in this country have one or both individuals in prison, uh, and those children have like a 60% chance of going to prison themselves. If you want to end the cycle of generational incarceration, the best way is to get mom or dad 
involved in their life again so they will not experience the same horrific trauma that they did at a young age. Well, Danny Ludeman, there's been so much work that has gone into this, and, and 900 people over five years, um, that's that's something to be proud of. Looking back on what you know now, what's one thing you've learned in the last five years that, that maybe you didn't anticipate? <laughs> be hard to narrow down to one thing. Um, uh, I would say that uh, probably the biggest thing I've learned was... Um, I used to think that this was a problem that just uh, affected, you know, black and Hispanic and Latino communities, and it does. I mean, as I've said, they're devastated by, um, um, you know, just over the years of, of racial bias, whether conscious or unconscious. But it's crystal clear now to me that this is a problem that affects everyone. Um, Fifty-five to sixty percent of all crime in this country is committed by former incarcerated individuals. So if you can help heal this population, there's probably nothing better you can do to reduce crime in a region. Hmm. The largest homeless population in this country are formerly incarcerated individuals. The largest number of overdoses in this uh, country are, are occur with formerly incarcerated individuals. And so um, you know, when you look at the data, and, 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 and in most state governments, one of the largest budget items in any department is the Department of Corrections. So if you can reduce reincarceration, lower state budgets, um, all of your listeners are taxpayers. And so if, if, if we can have an impact on lowering uh, those costs, then those dollars can be used to support many, many other needed things that, 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 that help um, the citizens of Missouri. So it's, it's a, a problem that affects every single um, St. Louisan and every single Missourian, and that's why we want to take what we've proven to work. This is a problem that can be solved. We've shown we can solve it. There's evidence behind it. There's um, data behind it. And now we're ready to take this solution. And and your your listeners ought to feel very good about what has accomplished in St. Louis. Well, Danny Ludeman, um, CEO of Concordance, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to getting that report from the independent verifier. We'll be sure to share it with people when we do. So thank you very much. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.